0: This podcast is proudly presented by Patagonia. Not bound by convention, Patagonia is in business to save our home planet. It's 2023 and modern climbers are more accomplished than ever. And we don't just mean on the wall. Patagonia has always seen the value in being bold, whether it means pushing high points or having the audacity to demand more for our planet. So what's it mean to be a strong climber? Full commitment to the sport and to our communities. It means not just working towards futuristic first ascents, but also a better future. And we aren't going to get there alone. For Patagonia's 50th year, we're looking forward, not back. And together, we can prioritize purpose over profit to protect this planet. Get involved, read stories to get you out there, and join a community that values what we do off the wall as much as we do on. Find out more at patagonia.com slash climbing. We get support from Deuter, one of the leading backpack brands that will help you hit the trails with confidence and comfort. But most importantly, your snacks. Founded in 1898, Deuter believes in fit, comfort, and working in the long term to offset CO2 emissions by teaming up with Climate Partner to invest in social and climate offset projects worldwide for select product including their Guide Enver Trail Climbing Pack. Deuter packs are PFC-free, meaning no forever chemicals, and they honor their promised lifetime warranty since their packs were meant to be on your back and not in landfills. So you can focus on way cooler things like puppies, pocket bacon, and getting sendy, whether at the crag or in the Alpine.
1: Today, we're going to talk about Ali. Ali means, come on, in a way, or to encourage. Okay, we are done with the simple and normal uses of Ali. Now, let's cut to the chase.
0: Alley Outdoor Personal Care products are made by climbers for those who love the outdoors. Their rich and repairing ingredients for their skincare collection are inspired by desert landscapes, and their simple and recyclable packaging makes them eco-sustainable. LA commits to protecting the open spaces that we love by partnering with the Access Fund and 1% for the Planet. That's LA Outdoor, A-L-L-E-Z. LA Outdoor, made by climbers for those who love the outdoors. Who is Otsun? More than prolific crack climbing gloves, Otsun has been making innovative gear engineered for climbing to improve your performance since 1998. Their climbing shoe designs are all original, developed and manufactured in Czech Republic, and 100% gender neutral. Beyond their sticky rubber, Otsun is renowned for their hardware, harnesses, and the biggest, lightest crash pad on the market. Find your new favorite climbing shoes and accessories at Backcountry, Moose Jaw, Camp Sabre, and Amazon. Civil discourse is a dying art, a complex practice that takes patience and well-rounded perspective to really master. It's not about standing on the hill of eventually which you will die, but clear communication and active listening. Its growing absence is due to a breakdown in this communication and more so the willingness to. It's hard to have hard conversations. It's even harder to try and change someone's mindset. It's not wrong to disagree with ideas, but the problem is ideas and people have become so inseparable. We've developed a bit of my way or the highway mentality and social media often so valuable in uniting community has amplified some of the discord. We default to a yell like hell tactic when faced with anyone who might think differently or have questions or maybe miss the point entirely. Instead of hearing each other out, we tend to build allegiance with those who share similar values while disassociating ourselves from the rest. The us versus them dichotomy also keeps us in an echo chamber. And the problem with that is that it's hard to see beyond what we already know. Have you heard of Daryl Davis? He's an American blues jazz musician and activist known for playing boogie woogie style piano, but more famously known for challenging white supremacy by hanging out with a known clan leader? That's right. Davis devoted a lifetime to engaging directly with KKK members by attending rallies and starting dialogue. And he's converted over 200 Klan members to leave the organization. But how? Davis starts with finding common ground as people rather than opposing issues. He also gave these white supremacists a chance to speak. Surrounding ourselves with like-minded people is important to build community, but it doesn't mean that we should build walls to ignore opposition. That's not change. But on an individual level, through clear and kind conversation, it's more possible than we think. And in the same vein of listening more, this episode we are also embracing the subtle art of shutting the fuck up.
2: I'm gonna say from the top, because I've noticed this happens in every conversation. Every time you bring up trans rights, or if you have a discussion and you say trans people, tense up. We live in a world
1: where now, there are people who are so transphobic, that it makes it almost
2: impossible for people who aren't to ask any questions, to have any conversations, to have any discourse that doesn't lump them in with transphobia. And so I'm I'm, I'm really glad that you're joining us on the show to talk about this because it feels like one of the biggest issues in America and yet no one can seem to talk about it. So let's start with your journey. Just because someone hasn't had the exposure and doesn't necessarily have the education and the knowledge I don't think that automatically makes them not worth interacting with because we're all going to know someone who's trans whether that person is in your family or one of your best friends or at your work. There's trans people everywhere and, and they're in West Virginia, they're in the South, they're in California, they're in everywhere. So I think uh, we're. It's worth having these conversations, and I would say just don't write anybody off. You know, just because they don't have all the information. Okay, I'm You are listening to the Love of Climbing podcast. It's funny, sad, and so uncomfortable.
1: I was like, wow, this is
2: the opposite of my podcast, but, you know, here we go. (laughs) I'm Alex Honnold, and you're listening to For the Love of Climbing. Is it to the, or to, do you say to For the Love of Climbing podcast? I'm Alex Honnold, and you're listening to For the Love of Climbing podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I see it. You're listening to For the Love of Climbing podcast. This is not a climbing podcast. Well... Sort of. It's a funny, sad, and somewhat uncomfortable podcast about choosing vulnerability. Here's the show. <laughs> Easy cheesy. What it somebody very recently told me something? And I was like, oh my God, that's hilarious. I think one of my friends recently told me that I am exactly who I am and I'm not willing to adjust that for anyone and I'm quite honest and do not hide my expressions very well and how I feel. It's not hidden and it's very hard for some people at times to respond to that kind of honesty, Um, but this particular person appreciated it and thought that it was refreshing to know someone that is just absolutely themselves all the time. And I, that's what I hope to put out there is, I just wanna be me, I don't wanna to have to hide who I am because I did that for way too long. My name's Lex and I'm from West Virginia, but I've been living in Boulder, Colorado and uh, working at the Boulder Rock Club Climbing Gym in Boulder. And climbing a lot? River surfing, skating, having fun?
0: You do it all, you're basically like a triathlon person.
2: I don't know about that. No, especially not in Boulder. I feel like everybody's an elite athlete in Boulder and I'm just I'm just out there having fun, that's all. <laughs> I think some you know key components of my identity are that I'm queer, I'm trans. Trans man has been a way an identity or a way to describe myself that I've identified more or less with throughout the years. And uh, then transmasculine has kind of come into the vernacular a little bit more, which is... I don't know what I described. Mm. Mm. These are tough things to define. It's not so binary. Uh, I think transmasculine is encompassing more masculinity that's outside of the binary. And transmasculine probably most closely represents me at this time. Uh, Just because although I think society definitely perceives me as a man... I don't know that personally that I quite fit into that box of the binary quite so neatly in a lot of other ways. But uh, also a climber. It's a big part of my life and it's been a big part of my life since 2015 and it's taken me all over the country and helped me meet some of the most wonderful people in my life and some of my best friends and created a whole community around it. And if I'd lived closer to the ocean, I might say surfer a little bit more confidently. yeah, so that's kind of what where I am right now, I would say. It's kind of equal, you know? It's kind of dissolved <laughs> me, you know? <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people don't even realize that they know trans people, and they don't realize that they've met trans people One of the, I think one of the tough things for me about society perceiving me sometimes as a man and not having any idea, a lot of people don't have any idea that I'm trans is uh, sometimes I don't get seen by my own community and that kind of invisibility is tough and you know, everybody has their own struggles. I have a ton of privilege in the fact that I can navigate the world without always having people know that I'm trans. There's a lot of safety in that at times and I don't take that. Lightly, I understand that privilege, but I do feel it necessary at times, and I've gotten a lot better at it over the years, a lot more comfortable with it. Is sharing who I am and talking about my identity, and people are often quite surprised uh, that I am trans, and they often say, "Well, I've never, I've never met a trans person before." I'm like. Well, have you? You might have, but you didn't know it. They just didn't disclose it because if I hadn't told you right now, then you wouldn't know. You would have still thought that you hadn't met a trans person. So trans people are everywhere, and uh, visibility can be really powerful, and it can also be quite dangerous, and that's an important consideration and probably a reason why more people aren't disclosing their identity in more situations.
1: The transgender community in the United States is reeling as Republican lawmakers and prominent conservative figures try to curtail their rights. A record number of bills relating to health care, access to bathrooms, even drag performances have already been tabled this year in state legislatures. Macda Gabri Selassie is in Washington with the details and more on what has uh, the community really been saying and concerned about at this time watching what Republican lawmakers are doing. What's been happening is a number of Republican-led states have been either passing or proposing new restrictive laws. So laws covering everything from sports to education to health care access. So you're seeing bills that are uh, being proposed or passed that would require teachers to out students to their parents. Bills that would prevent doctors from giving hormone therapy to trans youth. Uh, legislation that would prevent trans youth from being on sports teams that align with their gender identity so these restrictive laws either that have been passed or proposed are showing up in texas oklahoma arizona and take tennessee last week its governor signed a law banning drag shows on public property also gender affirming health care for trans youth is prohibited there now uh, and that will take effect uh, in a few months so this was uh, also a dominant theme at this week's, last week's rather, conservative political action conference. Take a listen.
2: Transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely. The whole preposterous ideology at every level.
1: I ended up putting a sign outside my office door that said there's only two genders, male and female. Trust the science. So LGBTQ activists are saying what is happening is a full on attack on the rights of people in the community. Many are worrying that this is just the beginning and they fear and warn that this will put more lives at risk. Take a listen to this talk radio show host and activist.
2: Now with this law, are you going to see more
1: people feeling like well i have to take you know the, the responsible thing here to enforce the law vigilantes are they going to be threatening uh, people who are drag performers or transgender people and say well you know the law empowers
2: me to do that we're going to see more violence play out i think that's the real fear people have I'm from the eastern panhandle of West Virginia, and uh, yeah, growing up in, in West Virginia, I was in a semi-rural area. I uh, was really happy to be able to spend a lot of time outside at my grandparents' house. Um, they were on an orchard. Just growing up, kind of riding dirt bikes and playing in the woods and gun camping, and then uh, in 2015, there was a very small local climbing gym in my town, and so I decided to check it out and try the new hobby. I didn't know if it was going to work out because I had cut off my finger, actually my middle finger, uh, in 2013. Yeah, washing a coffee cup, just cut it right off when I was dropped it and tried to catch it. And so I walked in and I was like, "Hey, can I just try this out for the day? I don't know if it's going to work out because uh, this finger thing." And um, <laughs> the person at the front desk was like, well, you know this climber, Tommy Caldwell, you know, cut off his finger or whatever. You should try it. Like, all right. And I loved it. And I started climbing with this affinity group in Rockville, Maryland. Uh, I was looking for queer community. And at this time, I wasn't disclosing that I was queer or trans to really anyone. And so people that I was climbing with didn't know. And there was a part of me that was saying, I feel like I can't hide this. You know, I want to be around people where I don't have to feel like I need to hide it. And there was a part of me that just wasn't ready to disclose that to people that I knew were safe and knew wouldn't have a bad reaction. Uh, My heart would just start racing every time that I thought, "Okay, how am I going to bring this up? Here's here's my opportunity. I couldn't do it. So it took a long road for me to even come to the point where I said, I've got to find some community here. I want to find people that have this shared experience and I want to start talking about this. And so I looked up queer climbers meetups and I found one outside of DC. And so I went down there and climbed with uh, the Capital Climbers and an amazing community organizer, uh, Brian Yamasaki. And he made me feel so comfortable. And I was so, nervous. there was only about five of us, but he just opened my eyes to the power of what community can do, and having people around you that allow you to express different parts of your identity and have congruence and have some sort of alignment in who you're putting yourself out there and who you actually are. After that, they said, well, there's this big climbing convention going on, it's a queer climbing convention called Homo Climtastic, and that's going on in Fayetteville, West Virginia, in the New River Gorge. I was like, oh, that sounds cool. And it was the first time that I'd been around that many queer people, number one. I was totally blown away. And I think growing up in West Virginia, there wasn't a lot of queer people. You know, I didn't know that trans men existed growing up. I had absolutely no exposure. And I didn't figure that out until I was maybe 19 or 20 years old in college when YouTube came about and everybody was vlogging. And so there was trans men that were making vlogs. And uh, I was watching that and I figured I was like, whoa. This is how I feel. Uh, so growing up in, in a place where you don't have a lot of exposure and there's not a lot of queer people that are visible to you, and like I was talking about before, it doesn't necessarily mean they weren't there. I just didn't have the ability to, to, to congregate. So visiting the new and kind of falling in love with that place and climbing, and I wanted to move there, and I'd spent a couple years working in the new River Gorge in Fayetteville and came to the point where I, I wanted to see the rest of the world a little bit. I wanted to get out. And I think for queer people, especially growing up in rural areas, I I know at least for me, I really lacked the self-confidence. There was a lot of self-doubt. There was a lot of fear about going to different places because for me, when I wasn't feeling very safe in my own home that I had known for 30 years, it was very difficult to imagine a future in which I could feel safe and comfortable in a place I had never been. You know, I always had the dream of growing up surfing and I would read skateboard magazines and watch surfing movies and I think I longed for that sort of cool masculinity that I was seeing and it was cool to me, it was aspirational for me. These guys that were looked just incredible flowing on the ocean and uh just I can't explain it, but it was I think I was seeking some sort of like gender euphoria, you know, to do this thing that i had always dreamed about growing up. And there's nothing that I understand. There's nothing inherently masculine about surfing, right? It's ridiculous. But it was something for me that felt like a dream. It felt like a dream from childhood that I didn't think I would ever be able to realize. I admired it, but I never thought that I would be able to do it. And so I was like, I finally got the opportunity to try this. I've got to go for it. And my dad had surfed a little bit when he was younger. And so I hear in those stories, there was just something that I just, I had to go try. So I went to San Clemente and down to San Diego and up to Santa Cruz and finally up to Stenson Beach up north of San Francisco, because San Francisco, obviously it's quite a queer city, but I never thought that I would go to San Francisco. I I couldn't imagine myself living in a city or anything, but I had to go see it and just have this cultural experience. You dream about it and you have these visions of things, how they're going to be in your mind, and they seem so far out of reach, but there was a longing to just find out. And so I went up to... North of San Francisco and spent the winter up there surfing and, uh, working for a state park and kind of just living the dream, you know, having this thing come to life that I never really thought would. And that was an incredible experience. And, uh, for a lot of reasons, I ended up, you know, going to Colorado and it was tough for me in California to find community and to be able to make it work financially. It's quite expensive. So... <laughs> I lived it and I'm glad that I did and maybe someday I'll go back and I'm so grateful for the experience that I had there and and now I'm really happy to be surrounded by these awesome mountains and I can river surf if I want to. <laughs> Actually got to climb in Rocky Mountain National Park with one of my closest friends. We did the casual route, climbing some awesome alpine routes, and you know, there's just something that's so special about doing that kind of thing it feels like such a wild environment to be in and for both of us you know we're both trans and i really enjoy climbing with other queer and trans climbers it's such a wonderful opportunity to collaborate in this creative way and to trust each other you know i think in this society that's constantly telling queer and especially trans people that they don't know themselves that they can't be trusted it's a very powerful experience to rely upon each other and be in this kind of wild place, doing something that's kind of difficult, requires a lot of competency and sound judgment and decision-making. And it's amazing to be there together and, and it feels like, yes, we can. Yes, we can do this. We, we can trust each other. We can rely on each other. And I think that's something that is absolutely quintessentially a part of the trans experience is learning that we have to rely on our communities Um, But on the subject of kind of moving out west, when I initially left for the trip, I told my employer, well, can I go on this couple-month trip here? I really need to get out. And uh, Maura Kistler and Kenny Parker at Waterstone, where I worked, were like, absolutely, you need to travel west. You're going to love it. You absolutely need to do this. Just let us know when you're coming home. And so when I left, I thought, okay, I'm just going to go try this for a couple months, and I'm going to come right back, you know? And I think two weeks in or less, I was like, I don't know if I can come back. Because there was such a point for me where I didn't know if I would be okay. I didn't know if I was going to be able to find a job. I didn't know if I was going to be lonely. Uh, I didn't know if I was going to be safe. I, I had never traveled across the country. I'd hardly been anywhere, you know. I'd never driven across the country in a van for sure. And the whole thing was quite intimidating, and uh I had never actually since I was maybe seventeen been without a job, and so I was at that space of not having employment, not having a house, and just going with the flow was totally new to me. But once I got in it and I realized, wow, this is so freeing. there's so much joy and exploration and learning new things and seeing what the rest of the country is like and you know, growing up in kind of a small place. I didn't really know that it wasn't totally kind of normal to have Confederate flags everywhere. And it was a totally different culture, going out to different places and seeing how other people, how other uh, cultures exist in different states. And it was really refreshing. But there was a certain low-level anxiety at all times for me, especially in southern West Virginia, that... I don't know if other people think about this, and I think that there's a lot of people right now that might start nodding their heads at this feeling, but I had to think about where I'd park when I went to the crag. Am I gonna get blocked in? Who's following me? My friends that were trans and queer that lived on the campground where I lived, yeah, I made sure they were coming home at night. I was texting them if they weren't there when I thought they would be home. Um, going climbing. There are certain areas that I didn't really like to go to because there's no cell phone service. It's a one-way, kind of in-and-out road. It's really easy to block people in. Um, I don't know how much other people think about that, but it comes to the point where it's kind of an unconscious thing. That's just in the back of your mind playing at all times is, what's my way out of here? What kind of weapons do I have at my disposal right now? What happens if this person does this there's all these uh things that are running in the back of your mind and that didn't disappear you know on the road for sure um but i think there's places that i've been that it's been a little less loud i've met so many wonderful people climbing has provided this opportunity for connection and it's something that i didn't get with surfing it was a very isolated experience you know exploring in these wild places and and relying upon each other it's a it's an incredible gift yeah there's there's no grade there's no peak there's no amount of miles that i could run or travel or do anything that would compare to the value of the people and connections that I've made. Um, But I think the climbing community has been at times, the greater climbing community has been at times a source of disappointment and stress and anger for me. I feel very passionate about this activity and the sport and and the whole experience of it. And I want to feel connection with those that also share it. And a lot of times I feel as though when people say things like, well, you know, the outdoors doesn't care if you're gay or if you're trans or if you're black or indigenous or a person of color, but whatever, you know, the arguments and that's just totally not true because the people that are in the outdoors do care. The people that surround you, like I was saying earlier, you're not just going climbing. You're not just on the wall. You're in the towns that are by the crags. You're on the road to get there. You're not just in this vacuum and it's not always safe. It's not always the same experience for everyone. I think people are experiencing the outdoors in vastly different ways depending on your identities. So there's been some uh, frustration on my behalf with how some climbers have handled a lot of the discussions that have been going on about race and gender and sexuality and climbing and the greater culture of climbing in general. And I hope that people take away that climbing doesn't happen in a vacuum and no one can escape or totally get rid of the fact that we've been raised in a racist, heteropatriarchal society. We all have these learned stereotypes and learned alignments that we have to push back on. And that's, that's the main thing, is being aware of it, pushing back on it, and taking action. And I think if you're totally denying the fact that racism or sexism or transphobia or a number of other things, ableism, exist within the climbing community, it's absolutely never going to change. You cannot deny that. we got to recognize it. we got to move forward. You know, climbing is a difficult sport. Kind of li- like most people really like the struggle of it. Let me tell you, I love a good moderate multi-pitch. That's a great time, you know, just a fun romp. But even the fun days are hard days. And... You know, we've got a tremendous opportunity here to to try hard, to learn, to work, to grow. So I hope that people take away that we got more to learn. We got more room to grow. And I think a great way to do that is connecting with people and doing it through this shared passion that we have for the sport.
0: We're going to take a short break, so don't go anywhere. Or we're a podcast. You can take us everywhere. Patagonia makes high-performance gear for climbing. From cragging essentials like the Caliza and Mengo Rock Pants to the redesigned Nano Air Light Hybrid Hoodie that keeps you comfortable when you're working hard in cold conditions. All of Patagonia's technical climbing products are designed and tested in partnership with their ambassador team. They're made to move, built to endure, and designed to have the lightest footprint possible. And like everything Patagonia makes, they're backed by a lifetime ironclad guarantee. Visit patagonia.com slash climbing to see the latest. We get support from BetterHelp to connect you to licensed therapists. They'll match you with the perfect therapist for a fraction of the cost of traditional therapy. You know who goes to therapy? Prince Harry, Emma Stone, Jenny Slate. Kesha. Therapy is beautiful. Everyone should go to therapy. Go to betterhelp.com slash climbing to sign up and receive 10% off your first month. It helps support the show and it helps support you.
2: I was flying home, um, and I was at the airport, and we, got, we had a layover, and uh, delay, and all the whole nine yards, and I started talking to this guy at the bar, and um, he was a cishet guy, cisgender, heterosexual guy, very athletic, he was into surfing, so we started talking about that, and uh, it just came up, I can't remember how it came up, but it came up that I was trans, and, and talking about climbing, and athletics, and surfing, and all this kind of thing, and he said, well, what can I do? to support you and I thought that was such a nice question and I said you know you have a ton of power that I that I don't have in situations because if someone says something transphobic there's been so many times where I've been the only one to speak up and of course I'm the queer guy I'm the trans guy I'm the only one who's going to say something when these queerphobic and transphobic statements are made behaviors are made And it just feels like, man, you know, I know y'all know this isn't right. I know you can feel it that what this person is doing isn't right, but there's silence. And the other part of that is when I call somebody out, of course they're going to look at me and automatically a lot of times just totally disregard whatever I'm saying. It was kind of a rude awakening in experiences I had where when I was first transitioning, medical transitioning, and I was kind of being somewhat a like part of the men's groups, you know, and I'd been involved in a way that I wasn't before when I was being perceived as a woman, I got to see what men-only circles are like. And I was the one that was like, hey, man, you can't say that. And they're like, well, you're not a man, so whatever. And it's was like, okay, well, they're not going to take whatever I say seriously, uh, so as a cisgender, heterosexual dude who is respected by a lot of the guys especially that are saying these kind of things and doing these kind of things and writing the comments on the Instagram and the Facebook or whatever you use and creating unsafe environments, uh, you know, it's uh, it's going to be more powerful to come from somebody that they are respecting in their mind uh, than it is from me, unfortunately. You know, that's just the way it is. And that's fine. But I think that people that wanna be allies, you got a tremendous amount of power. Uh, And it's really nice when we don't always have to be defending ourselves, you know? We don't always have to be the one that are raising our voices and saying, hey, you can't do this. It's really nice when other people step up to the plate and say, hey, not acceptable, you can't do that. So what I'd like to see more of is cisgender people and heterosexual people taking a stand raising their voice and uh you know it doesn't have to be in an aggressive way but just a kind way of calling out and letting people know this isn't appropriate uh there's not a perfect way to always approach it i think a lot of people are scared a lot of people are intimidated to say anything and it can be awkward but it's better to say something than to be silent And I think that can create a lot better spaces for for everyone involved and not always put the responsibility of making the community a better place on the people that are most harmed by it. (laughs) So you can educate too, and I think that goes for race as well. I think as a white person, I have a responsibility to call out other white people that are saying or doing racist things and educate them because it shouldn't always be the responsibility of the people that are being harmed to try to educate and correct the people that are doing the harm. It it doesn't need to happen like that. So I'd like to see more people uh, taking real action, talking to their friends, talking to their acquaintances, their coworkers, workers and um, yeah, not always putting it on, on us to do that. You never know who around you is trans or queer. And so you might think you might be in a group of all cishet people and somebody makes a crack. Oh, well, you know, no one's trans here. So here's the thing. You don't know. And you also don't know who's struggling with identity and who might really be having a hard time and questioning their own identity and their sexuality. And when you hear things that are violent and negative and making a joke about something that's really deep rooted inside of you that you're not ready to share with people, that can have catastrophic consequences for people. So, I think it's very important to use your voice and you can approach people with kindness. And some, you know, we all have to be pulled aside sometimes. Say, hey man, this is not great what you just said, and this is why. I hope that my friends do that. I hope that my acquaintances do that for me because I'm sure that I've needed it sometimes and I probably will need it in the future. You know, nobody's perfect and nobody knows everything. And that's why we got to help each other out. We got to be in community. And sometimes being in a community and supporting each other is more than just positive affirmation. Sometimes it's pulling each other aside and saying, hey, you know, you got to change this. And I'm, I'm thankful if somebody takes the time to do that for me. Uh, so there's a lot of actions and it doesn't have to end in, in losing a friendship or losing a relationship. You know, hopefully it can be a conversation that helps someone grow. Because if you take the time to repair that situation, that's great. I mean, we're all going to do harm in one way or another, quite likely to each other. But you got to be willing to repair the damage. And I think it's uh, it's often a really powerful experience to be on the side of, hey, someone told me that I need to learn about this. And you do and you make the change because guess what? Now you're better able to take that experience and teach other people, take something positive away from it. So I don't think that ignorance is an excuse to do harm I just think that harm is uh it's reality of being yeah it's just a it's a reality of being a human being, and I think we need to focus on what we do to help stop perpetuating it and to help others learn and prevent it from happening further um but like I was saying earlier, just because someone hasn't had the exposure and doesn't necessarily have the education and the knowledge. I don't think that automatically makes them not worth interacting with. Uh, I think that people in the South get kind of a bad rap about not being very open and uh, progressive and things like that. And you know, there's, there's violence everywhere. Uh, but I think there's a lot of people that, given the opportunity to have a conversation and learn about an experience of life that they didn't previously know about, actually, are tremendously warm and welcoming. And so, you know, the more comfortable I've got with myself and in myself and in my identity, the more likely I am to have conversations with those people. And there's some really nice outcomes from that because we're all gonna know someone who's trans, whether that person's in your family or one of your best friends or at your work. There's trans people everywhere, and, and they're in West Virginia, they're in the South, they're in California, they're in everywhere. So I think it's worth having these conversations, and I would say just don't write anybody off, you know, just because they don't have all the information at hand. And that's where allies can play a great role, is to take some of those people that need a, a trans 101, and uh, I think that a lot of people are totally willing and capable, given the opportunity. And so I hope that through these kind of small conversations, we can, it can make a difference. Back to my feelings on leaving West Virginia and kind of what took me so long, so to speak. A lot of people told me, you got to get out of here. You got to go to the city. You need to experience some different things. And as much as I think that's right for some people, I don't think it's right for everybody. And I think there is uh, wonderful ways to exist in rural places and be queer and be trans and have community. Uh, That all exists for a lot of people. And I just simply think that I needed to try something different. That's all. Uh, But doing these sports where I'm learning new things, learning how to surf, learning trail running and coming out west you know the mounds are kind of different you know a little different experience of the hiking even and doing off the formalized trails you know backcountry running and things like that there's a lot of self-confidence that's required same thing in the ocean and same thing with rock climbing especially alpine climbing you're just kind of venturing out there and that is kind of directly related to how i feel in the rest of life is uh I know that I can believe in myself and I can go do these things and learn new things. And in the mountains, I love, I've been loving trail running and scrambling and uh, doing some class three, class four stuff. Because once you get off the formalized trail, you're, wow, I'm really, I'm really out here and there's not a clear path and you kind of have a general guideline of where you're going, but you got to figure it out. And sometimes I get stressed out. Yeah. The last one that I did, I, I, was pretty sure i was going the right direction but i kind of got to a point where it wasn't that obvious anymore and i was gonna have to do a little bushwhacking i thought there was like a cliff and i thought maybe i could find a break in the cliff and scrambled up but i wasn't 100 percent sure and i was about to start crying just break down i was like okay well you know i can do that. it's fine but maybe i'll just have a cookie First and see how I feel then you know so <laughs> I ate my snack and I felt a little better and I went for it and I found the, the break in the cliff line and went did the thing and I come out onto these slabs these gentle, gentle slabs and I see the most perfect little Karen sitting there and I was like oh I just started laughing out loud I was so happy because I thought I am on the right path I did it you know and that's such a beautiful moment and uh, in life, I think that oftentimes we are the currents for each other. I think we show each other that we're not lost, we're not alone, and that there's a future in the direction that we're going. I think for a lot of trans people especially, futures can be a tough thing to imagine. When you don't grow up and you don't see a lot of people that are living the life that you're trying to imagine, and you're just trying to get through the day, I think it's very difficult to dream. And I think through being seen, through simply letting other people know that we exist and that we have joy, I think that we give each other the gift of the future. Uh, one of my really close friends, Nikki Smith, did a podcast um, earlier. And she's a professional climber and photographer. Uh, been in the climbing industry in different roles for a long time, and she's trans. And she was being interviewed, and she was asked, you know, what would you tell yourself if you could go back in time and give yourself advice? And she said, "Well, I think I'd just show myself the future." And essentially, she said that she would show herself how much she loves herself now. Uh, That's exactly what I do for myself, but of course we can't go back and give that to ourselves, but I do believe that we can give that to each other. And uh, you just never know who might need to see you in order to see a future for themselves.
0: You're listening to For the Love of Climbing podcast. A huge thank you to Deuter, one of the leading backpack brands that will help you hit the trails with confidence and comfort. A big shout out to LA Outdoor for supporting the Access Fund and 1% for the Planet. And to Otsun, innovative gear engineered for climbing to improve your performance. And thanks to Patagonia. Not bound by convention, Patagonia is in business to save our home planet. Support companies who support this podcast. We couldn't do it without them. If you liked what you heard, you can leave a review on iTunes. Or give us a like. Like all good things, you can find us on the internet.
2: I don't know, maybe like the one, like it's usually like one's really blue Um, and then one's like kind of brown or whatever. She was like, those eyes remind me too much of the devil.